helping just bring a little bit more light to uh, the, a really big need that's not only in our area, but all over the world, really, as even John mentioned earlier, um, the outreach he's doing to children and everything. Um, I'd like to start this by kind of saying a little bit about how Sharon and I got started in foster care. Uh, a little over two years ago, um, Sharon came to me and said, honey, I need you to sit down. I have something I want to talk to you about. <laughs> and uh, she told me, she said, that over the last several, several months that her and God were kind of having conversations about um, being foster parents and, and getting involved in this and, and really getting active. And I said, well, honey, I need you to sit down. I have something I need to talk to you about. Over the last six months, God, God and I have been having the exact same conversation. Um, so it was just real interesting to see how without either one of us knowing or talking about it with each other, God was working and breaking down each one of us individually. Um, so we went through the process of becoming uh, foster parents, getting all the background checks and classes and training done. Um, it probably, uh, if I remember correctly, it was the very next day after we actually got word that we were certified, we were doing a uh, one last hurrah, if you will, uh, with just us and our biological children. We were at Silver Dollar City, and we got a phone call saying, we have two children that need to be placed. Are you able to take them? And we said, well, we would love to take them, but we're in Silver Dollar City right now. We'll, we'll, we'll be able to pick them up tomorrow. So so very quickly, uh, we had our first placements. Uh, a lot of you remember them, uh, Damon and Robert. Uh, they were here with us a long time. Uh, we're happy to say that they're home with their biological dad now and seem to be doing really, really well. Uh, our next two placements were Matthew and Isabella. Um, we are thrilled to say that as of right now, the date is set for February 27th where we will be able to adopt them. That's the court date for them. It's February 27th. So um, so along with Matthew and Isabella right now, we have uh, three others. Um, two are actually in the, two of those others are in the home with us right now. One, uh, we're waiting to um, be released from the hospital and they'll be coming to our home. Um, you know, when, if, when you're thinking about going into foster parents, it's not really hard to understand why it's hard to make that commitment uh, to being a foster parent. Uh, we had some of those same, same questions and concerns of, you know, we already have our own comfort zone that we're in. We have our routine, our, quote, normal lives, organized homes, our quiet evenings. And, um, but once you see... Uh, a child that needs a safe place, a loving home, or someone to even hold them, it's kind of hard to say no. In fact, there are over 6,000 kids in the Arkansas uh, foster care system right now with only 3,900 homes available to take those children. Uh, there's currently, we just uh, heard this morning, there's currently a sibling set of three that are one, two, and three years old uh, that have had to be in the DHS office uh, sleeping on the floors there at night since Friday night because they're having a hard time finding somebody to take them. 
you know, it's, it's hard to explain uh, the feeling and the, the blessings uh, to, to see a difference that you can make in a child's life. Uh, to have a young girl that when she comes to you that's so scared and untrusting of everyone and everything, go to a girl that is outgoing, energetic, doesn't meet a stranger anymore. She's very friendly and outgoing to everybody that she meets. Uh, to singing at the top of her lungs in church. Uh, the people that sit around us over here in the back hear her every Sunday morning singing at the top of her lungs. At home, making up songs to God, singing about how he saved her and how much he loves her and how much she loves him and, and how much she's glad that she's gotten to know him now. It's, it's just, without a doubt, it'll just take every single concern or worry that you may have about being a foster parent. So uh, just in short, I just encourage you to, um, if you're feeling that calling, um, to take the leap of faith. Uh, I'd also like to say, you know, being a foster parent really isn't a calling for everyone. I had a conversation with somebody a couple of weeks ago about that. Um, he told me that he just doesn't feel like that's what he's called to do. Um, but then he explained, but this is what I'm doing. Uh, so I'd like to go further and just say, whatever God's calling you to do, take that leap of faith. Um, I'd also like to say right now that uh, we have a, Hannah Bassinger is here with us this morning. She's a representative from Children's Home Inc. Uh, who uh, we are licensed under. Uh, they are umbrella parent type thing that real encouraging and supportive of us and just gives us all the support that we need and answers any questions that we have. She's here to just do that, answer any questions that you may have, point you in the right direction um, on, on how you can help, how you can be foster parents, or even how you can help. Uh, right now, I'd just like to introduce, we have a short video that uh, we'd like to show for you all. Uh, that's some of the parents and some of uh, our own children uh, giving a little video testimony of what it's meant for them to, to be a foster family. So at this time, I'd like to go ahead and play that. Thank you all very much. The thing about fostering that's so important to me is I think about these kids and they'll grow up one day and if trauma and abuse and neglect are all they ever know, then that's all they'll be able to produce. But if Christian foster parents can take them out of that, even for a brief part of their life, and show them there's a God who loves them and calls them his own, then it can change the entire outcome of their life. And if it changes their life, it can change the whole world. I was in foster care until I was three months old, and then God handpicked the perfect parents for me. This is my first Sunday at West Ark. Aww. First, when we first started thinking about fostering these kids, all the reasons that I did not want to do it, it, it turned out they were selfish reasons. Um, I didn't want to get too attached. Um, I didn't want to open up our home to any number of problems that could come along with that because I was worried about us. And once I got over that and started thinking about it from God's point of view, yep. I mean, it was pretty much a no-brainer. And, you know, we're not going to foster forever, but, um, you know, I think that 
right now is a great time for our family. And it's been so beneficial to my children, to my adoptive child, and, um, and it's made our marriage stronger. Our family has been fostering for the last year and a half. During that time, we've had 13 children come through our home. We've been so blessed to love on them, show them Jesus. We had some that have just stayed a few days. We've had some that have been with us from the beginning, and they're still with us. In fact, two of those 13 are actually going to become real barkers in two months. Um, I just wanted to say that I love that our church family is so behind these children. It means so much to them. Most of them have never had anybody be their advocates. Now they have a foster family advocating for them. They have a church family advocating and praying daily for them. It means so much to them. God is really saving them, one child at a time, one foster family at a time. I think that I wish I could show you all their pictures and show you the resiliency of them and how they've come so far in such a short amount of time. God is just doing miraculous things, and he is so faithful. He's the real hero of this whole foster story. And it's just our privilege to be able to love on them, to hug on them, and to show them and point them to God, to Jesus, to heaven. That's really all that matters. And if anybody wants to stand on the beach and throw a starfish back in the ocean with me, just call me. I'll be happy to tell you how to get involved. Hello, this is Brandon and Emily Morris. Uh, we are foster parents uh, with, the, with the church. And uh, so we have had uh, three foster children since we started. Um, two twin boys when we first started. And we currently have uh, you know, a one-year-old little girl that many of you have seen with us. Uh, we've had her since birth. Um, one of the biggest challenges that we face with uh, foster parenting is just the process, the, the court process, um, you know, having our, our home, you know, critiqued uh, to a higher expectation and standard than most homes. Um, that's been a challenge um, as far as just, you know, the children. That's just the everyday. Everybody as a parent knows those challenges, but uh, mostly just the, the process. Um, you know, one of the biggest blessings that, that we get from fostering is, uh, you know, saving a life. Um, you know, we really feel like this is a something God called us to do. Um, you know, it's really a joy to, to see this little girl in our home grow and, and uh, you know, live for Christ and, and really do all these wonderful things that, you know, a child should rather than what she would be uh, doing in, a, in her previous home. Um, so uh, I appreciate your support. Thank you. Foster care saved my life. I was in foster care for 517 days. Um, I was born into foster care. My, uh, I love my foster babies. They're so cute. I really, 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 really want to keep them. <laughs> so how do you feel about having foster siblings? Um, I think it's pretty cool. I mean, my parents do most of the fostering, but I help out sometimes. And um, Kiki is one, and she started developing a personality. And so she'll be fussing at me if I don't say hi when I'm walking to my room, and she'll start fussing at me and 
follow me to my room. And then Claire is four months old, and she hasn't really developed her personality yet, but she's she's pretty cute. A year and a half ago, our family started taking in foster kids, and they have changed my life in a huge way. Being a brother to them has increased my ability to love the unlovable, like when they are acting out in a bad way. They have taught me that mission work isn't just going to another country or driving to another state. It can also be right inside my own home. I love being a part of a foster family. Yes, it has its rough moments, but the good definitely outweighs the not-so-good moments. Being a part of a foster family has really changed me. It has changed how I view things and has taught me not to take things for granted. I've always wanted to do mission work, and I have been blessed with a youth minister that gives me so many great opportunities to do so. But I've learned by being a foster sister that I'm living in a mission field, and I have an amazing opportunity to do mission work in my own house every day. Sometimes, which just involves being a great role model to these sweet kids, especially my soon-to-be sister. Other times, it involves a little bit more than that. I highly recommend you sign up to do foster care. It is not the easiest thing to do, but trust me, it will be worth every second, and it will make a huge impact not only on the kids' lives that you help, but on your own life as well. Good morning. <clears throat> like many of you, I grew up in a very, very blessed childhood. Uh, my sister and I, we had parents that cared for us, that loved us, that got us things that we didn't need, I'm sure, and, but they made sure that we were fed, that we got plenty of sleep, and overall took care of us. Um, as I've grown older, um, I've seen um, parents not making those good choices, not providing for their kids. Um, any of you guys who are teachers, I know that you see that on a daily basis. I know you see kids come to school hungry, and that, in fact, they've started implementing breakfast um, because these kids can't function because they're, they're starving. Um, a little background on how I got into foster care. My wife and I, um, <laughs> heard this several times today, got involved with a mission trip. We went to Honduras, and um, we visited an orphanage there. And it broke our heart. Um, God broke our heart and showed us that these kids in need, they need somebody to advocate for them. Um, even though that fell through, we continued on, and we, uh, we found Ellie in Africa. Um, we brought her home, and it's amazing how you can look at the pictures from when she was first with us and the smile that she has today. It's, it's unbelievable what God's love did for her. Um, But I want to get back to 
these broken families that um, these kids today, you know, even though I said that they they do exist in our schools, uh, they're they're not always bad enough. But when they do get bad enough, uh, DHS will come in and basically rip these kids out of their homes, out of everything. Even though it's not a safe environment for them, it's still, it's all they know. And so they're taken out of those homes um, and they're put into foster care. And, you know, I've heard, heard a lot through life that church is kind of a hospital for sinners. But, you know, I consider it more a hospital for brokenness. Um, and these kids, DHS's goal when, when they come into foster care is reunification with their families. They're not all, you know, to be put into orphanages or whatever. They really want to get them back with their families. So there's a, a huge, it, it's, it's a long list of things that parents have to go through to get these kids back. Um, but while those kids are in foster care in our care that might be the only time in their in their lives that they see the love of God you know um, we've had 12 foster kids in our home and um, most of those have gone back to their families whether or not their parents you know their parents are supposed to get fit again to have these these kids but that is, that's not always the case so um, we need to be there to show them God's love um, for example when um, when Claire our, our baby cared, we had her I guess we've had her since August I believe um, and Carrie once we once she came to our care, we took her to uh, the, a doctor's appointment, and the doctor said, "You guys are the the sixth family that's brought her in. She must be really hard." Now, at the time, you know, we didn't know that she was deaf, but we did know that she was going through withdrawals from alcohol and other unknown things that we didn't know, but. Um, even even within the foster community it's it's really hard to love these kids and that that just shocked us that she was just three weeks old and she'd already been through uh, six different homes but um all I have to say it's it's not convenient it's uh it's exhausting and um it's very rewarding um I, I just know that, you know, if Jesus were here today, he would be on the front row, sign me up, you know. Um, he's, that was his whole life, was getting us to love and to show God's love. Um, I'm, I'm going to close with a, a little saying that I, Carrie pulled off of Facebook and she read it to me this morning. Um, it's really interesting. The parents 
that we struggle to show grace to were likely once kids we would have done anything to give our love to. And that's a different perspective that, you know, we, it's such a problem that we think about these kids, but we need to think about the parents as well. We need to pray for the parents um, because they were once kids too, and somebody was not there to love them, to show them, to help break the cycle. So, you know, as God's church, let's, let's break that cycle. Let's stand in the gap for these kids and teach them about God and God's love. Thanks. Thanks, Chris. I want to do something here <clears throat> to make this visible to us. Uh, if you are currently one of our families and you are involved in uh, raising or protecting foster children or raising adopted children, would you please stand up now? I want people to see how many we have here, okay? Any of our families that are involved in raising adopted children or foster families? Okay. This is, these are the people who are asking you to join them in what they're doing, and we want to thank you for the message that you've given us today. Now, there's another side of this I want to see. If you, I'm, I'm talking to everybody, if you were ever in foster care as a child or if you are adopted and you feel comfortable letting us know that, would you please stand up? It's always interesting when you meet people and you learn that that's part of their story and they can tell you that from another perspective. There's, all, you know, there's another group, kind of like Hannah here, social workers, judges, um, uh, people who work with the government, people who are involved in just all sorts of ways to help these families. I don't know, if you fit in that huge basket of people who are involved in that network of processes, would you stand up so we can see you? This might enlighten us also, okay? Ted, you've been involved in this as a judge, haven't you? And Hannah, you're right here. And anybody else, I don't know, have you ever been there? Okay, we have more advocates and others. Okay, these are the people, there we go. These are the people you're going to look to for guidance in some of this. Thank you for what you do. I, you know, it's been a pleasure to know these families and to see these families grow over the years and to see how we have closed that gap between foreign missions and mission at home, you know, that, that we no longer have to say, well, you know, there's all of this work that we do overseas. Why don't we do stuff here? We are, and they're happening. You know, or we do this stuff here, but what about overseas? Well, we are, and they're related, and they're so intertwined now that it would be impossible to pull one apart from the other because You've heard it in their stories, it works together. And I think that's good and that's healthy and that's mature because what that means is that means that we're becoming like, like the kingdom of God. Over the last 20 years, some writers have um, all put forth, Christian writers have put forth an idea that I'm inclined to agree with. They say Christianity invented children. That may seem like an odd statement at first. Wait a second, there's always been children, yes. But the things that you and I take for granted about children, the concepts, the idea that children should be protected, 
The idea that children ought to be instructed and cared for. The idea that children ought to be disciplined, but that discipline ought to be constructive, and it ought to be for their care and their growth, and it should not be harsh or abusive. The idea that children could matter, and that children are special, and that they do represent a a generation that will grow up and can change the world. I mean, what you're seeing here today with the children singing up here before us and and then this play that you're going to see tonight, you and I take that in stride and we take that for granted. But what I want you to know is that throughout history, in many parts of the world, and even in our own United States, that is not the norm. That is not how things have always been, nor is it how things are right now. Christianity has improved the world in many ways. And one of the earliest examples of that in history is that the followers of Jesus Christ, and they weren't organized as an institutional church. They weren't organized as as, as an institution in society. They were just disciples. They were just people who lived out the teaching of Jesus, and it often cost them dearly to stay dedicated to him. But it was in those days in history that people changed practices of exposing children, doing away with children. The idea that children could be treasured human beings cut against the grain of the ancient world's idea that children were non-persons, that children could be sold as property, that children could be used, they could be abused. And no one ever questioned that. Even people who were basically good people and did what was right just assumed these things. It was the norm. I want to remind you that in the Gospel of Matthew, (laughs) Joseph, who is a decent and righteous man, assumed that the right thing to do was to put Mary away because she was pregnant and they were not yet married. Only because God intervened and revealed to him the truth. And then he was changed to follow God's ways. That happens throughout the early centuries. Um, George Grant writes a book called The Third Time Around. He says virtually every culture in antiquity was stained with the blood of innocent children. The Greeks and the Romans... During the early years of Christianity, there was was no restriction for killing infants for different reasons. Those who were born deformed or physically frail were especially prone to being killed, maybe because of superstition, maybe because the child was seen as a burden. And for those who lacked the ability to actually terminate the life, they would just abandon the children, expose them to the elements. They say that Greco-Roman families were not large families because of these practices. But there were heroes. There were people who followed the teachings of Christ. Um, In the second century, you have a fellow named Beninus. He lived in the region of Lyon in France. He was renowned for his generosity. He was a follower of Jesus. He would take care of the sick that nobody else would. He would take care of those children who were born with deformities. 
He, he would take care of children that uh, were abandoned because they were unwanted. He continued that until a crowd of superstitious citizens sought him out. They thought that bad things were happening because he was protecting these children who were cursed by the gods. Callistus of Rome, he started life as a Christian slave. He was imprisoned. He was sentenced to hard labor. And in the second century, um, he became a Christian, actually. He was not at first a Christian. He became a Christian after being involved in a a, a scandalous uh, financial scheme. And after he was released, he was given his freedom. He was no longer a slave. And what he did with his freedom was he created a shelter along the Appian Way. And he occupied himself with duties of caring for the poor. He comforted those who had lost loved ones. He, he took care of widows and orphans in their distress. Pure religion. And he gave refuge to those who were abandoned, especially the abandoned children. Callistus formed what were called life watches. And he taught others to join him so that when they saw those children that were abandoned to the elements, they would go and they would take them and they would raise them for their own. And historians tell us that this is why Christianity grew in those early centuries. Because they were willing to raise and teach and nurture the children that the dominant society would do away with. The first Christian martyr on the island island of Britain is a man named Alban. In the last decades of the second century, he offered refuge to those who were fleeing persecution from the the, the powers in Rome. He ministered to those who were sick along the way. He took in refugees. He cared for the poor. He saved abandoned children. He was martyred at a place called Holmhurst Hill. Because he tried to intercede for those who needed his help. These people were heroes. And these are just a few. One of my favorites is a man named George of Diospolis. You probably don't know him by that name. But you will know him by the name of the dragon slayer, St. George. There's a lot of legends that come up about St. George. He's famous for killing a dragon. But in that story, there may be a kernel of truth because he's killing the dragon because the dragon is being used. There's a deal going on between the king and the dragon to protect his kingdom, but he must sacrifice children to the dragon in order to do it. Tell me there's not a kernel of truth in that parable. When George comes along, George sees this and he knows that this is wrong, and so he says that he will kill the dragon. In reality, George of Diospolis was a Roman soldier. His father was a Roman soldier. His Christians were parents. But when George was put in a position where he could no longer fight for the emperor in Rome, he decided instead he would fight for the emperor of heaven. And he would rescue those that others were scared to save. And this is probably why George is a legend throughout the world. We really don't even know who he is, but his spirit is still in the church, in those who are willing to risk for the sake of those who cannot protect themselves. This church has been especially equipped 
to minister to children, to help children, and now to defend children. How many years ago was it that we had Gary Bortz here? Only a, a few of you. What year did you start your children's ministry here? Do you even, can you even, 05, 06, something like that? So it would have been before that, before Dina Jenkins started her role as our children's minister. I know it was before that. Gary Bortz was widely recognized, because we were thinking about children's ministry, and Gary Bortz was recognized as sort of the grandfather of children's ministry in Churches of Christ. So we had him come all the way from California, where he's still out there, working at the church where Shane Hughes is preaching, by the way. And he came out here and he told us a story and, oh, he went into this little one-man play and described a child whose parents would not allow him to go to Jesus to receive the blessing. And it broke our hearts. And then he told us this phrase that I've never forgotten. He said, in our church family, we recognize all children as our children, whether they're our children by blood or by the blood of Christ. And I see that coming to fruition now in 2016. And I see that continuing to grow in so many ways. And I don't want you to take for granted all that you've seen in these videos, all that you see tonight, all that you see in all of these activities aimed at helping those who cannot help themselves. Do not take it for granted. It is not the norm It wasn't in history, it's not in many parts of the world, and it's not even in our own United States. And sometimes it's not even in churches. Has it been that long ago that we used to say things like, children ought to be seen and not heard? I don't know about that. Children don't need to be, you know, screaming out at the top of their lungs things they shouldn't say. I mean, that's just politeness. But the idea that we need to just stick them in a box somewhere. They're people too. And and, and when we have those attitudes, I think of those disciples. All those disciples, they're so close to Jesus. They're right there next to him. And they're out there fielding everybody. Master, I haven't got time for you and your snotty-nosed kids. Get out of here. Go on. Just, just get away. Get away. Get away. He can't be bothered by that. Children aren't important. And Jesus then just turns the table over, metaphorically. No. He says, you don't understand. You let them come to me because they're closer to the kingdom than you are. No wonder when we come to Christ... We are born anew. We are born from above, it says in John's Gospel. Meaning that we are born more in the likeness of the kingdom of heaven than we are when we are born into this world the first time. No wonder we have to become like little children because God is working to remove from us To wash out from us all the junk, all the bitterness, all the twisted thinking that we have taken for granted. And he's giving us a new thinking. And when you see that we've got that kind of kingdom thinking among us, then rejoice because we are close to the kingdom of heaven. And and where we need to improve and where we need to grow, then rejoice Because we have a merciful Father 
who will cleanse us and make us new, and He will give us His Spirit, and we can follow Him. God, help us to be like those heroes in history who followed Jesus, and they loved Jesus more than they loved their own lives and more than they loved their own comfort. And I'm telling you, if those people could do it then in the world that they lived in, and if people can do it now, people like our friend uh, Bethany Haley Williams, who was here just not very long ago. Again, West Ark is always at the center of these things, and uh, the ministry that she works with, Exile International, they go and they change the lives of little children who are made into soldiers to fight for whatever ridiculous causes these warlords want them to fight in and they're restoring them they're restoring their childhood and they're teaching them how to live in the image of christ oh west Ark, there's so many opportunities for each and every one of us to be heroes but we don't do it on our own we do it because we come to christ and like good soldiers we submit ourselves to him as our emperor and we follow him as we, as we sing this song, maybe you have a, a need for prayer. There's a place right back here where elders will meet you and they'll pray. They'll meet you right down here. They'll pray with you. We'll tell everybody what you want prayed for or we don't have to tell anybody a thing. You just talk to that shepherd and pray. Or you can turn to them after this service is over. And if it's your desire to be made like a little child and to be washed clean from your sins then you let us know that this morning. Let's stand. Let's sing together.